MailChimp presents. Say you're the head of marketing strategy for a small clothing store. You've perfected digital communication with your loyal customers, and now you want to expand into brick-and-mortar locations. But you haven't totally perfected your segmentation strategy, and double-checking the right emails are sent to the right customers just takes so much time. Intuit MailChimp can help. With Intuit MailChimp's automation and segmentation tools, personalizing each email based on individual behaviors is made easy. Intuit MailChimp allows you to share your new product launch with VIP customers who follow every release, run a targeted campaign for more seasonal buyers, and send out location-specific emails to promote your store openings among your new neighbors. They'll take care of your marketing needs so you can take care of your customers' needs. Start refining your email marketing strategy today with Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. Hello, friend. I'm Paul Jarvis, and you're listening to Call Paul. I'm the author of Company of One, a book about intentionally growing a small business. I've also run many small businesses for the last 20 plus years. And I'm currently the co-founder of Fathom Analytics, a small privacy-focused analytics company. Many of us end up working for ourselves, not because we want to create a new product or sell something totally unique, Sometimes we start a small business to sell a thing that already exists, but in a new and unique way. In this season of Call Paul, we're talking to small business owners who do the right thing and do well financially. And I know from experience that those two things don't have to be in opposition. They can in fact be complementary in the long term. When I was growing up, my grandfather owned a men's clothing store in a small town. And they would come in and he was so personable with everybody. And they would be like, Forey, how are you? And he'd know everybody's name. Hey, Bob, great, need a new suit? Yeah. And I just always remembered that feeling. And I always thought, if I ever had my own shop, I want that same feeling. That's Leanne McKay, a co-founder of eBoom Electric Bikes. And if you aren't sure what an electric bike is, think of it like a normal bicycle, but with a small motor on it, powered by a battery, that makes pedaling, especially up hills, much easier. I've personally been an avid e-bike fan for many years, and I have, mm, well, three of them currently. Leanne and her business partner Robin run their bike shop in Whitestown, Indiana, where they focus not just on selling e-bikes, but on providing great customer service and building a community for riders. So we're in an old two-story brick building that was built in 1935. It started out as a bank, actually. And we still have the old vaults in there. <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Everybody always curious and ask about them. The vibe is high energy. I'm fortunate that my uh, staff is very excited, loves e-bikes, loves biking, loves people. We're very happy to have a business where people come in 
and it, they're excited and they're, they're happy to be there and they can't wait. They're like little kids. They can't wait to get on the new bikes. I'm very fortunate to work in such a fun place. Can you give us a bit of background in terms of what were you doing before the bike shop? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur or was that something that just kind of happened? Before I did the bike shop, I was in the corporate world. I uh, worked for 17 years for a company that does vacation resorts and I was in marketing there. Got to travel a lot, see most of the country. After that, we had the you know economic downturn in 2008 and I lost my job. And that's when I first considered the entrepreneurship because I thought, well, you know, I can, I'm going to build websites and help market for small businesses and did that for about six years. And it was kind of fun because it was like finding a newfound freedom of, you know, not having to go to that corporate office every day and um, not having to be on call 24 seven, you know, for meetings and, and things like that. So then how did you go from web design to uh, e-bike shop? Now, that's a very good question. <laughs> well, you know, as working in the web design, sitting a lot, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a goer. I'd like to to go. As a matter of fact, I would ride my bike to meetings. One summer I decided my car is sitting in the garage collecting dust. Why am I paying for that? I'm going to go a whole summer without a car. And I rode my bike everywhere. And I was really enjoying being out on my bike. I got tired of doing website because everybody and their mother was doing websites. And I thought, gosh, what else is there to do? And I uh, talked to my business partner, Robin, and we were coming up with ideas of different things that we could do. So she said, when I was younger, I rode a bike made by Lee Iacocco. It was an electric bike, but it ran on gas. And she said, I'm hearing those are coming back, but with battery powered. And I was very skeptical. And she goes, let's, let's check one out. So we had to drive from Indianapolis to St. Louis, which is about a three, three and a half hour drive to go see one because there was nothing. And we drove there, went to a bike shop there. And uh, the guy was almost embarrassed. Was, oh, yeah, I got an e-bike. Uh, let me go get it. <laughs> hmm. So he went in and dug it out, dusted it off and said, here, you can you can go try it. Uh, took it out and rode it. And I just I mean, you know, right. How, how it feels, Paul? The we factor? The we factor. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. So obviously as e-bikers, we know the we factor very well. But can you explain what it means to you for those who might not? Well, the we factor evolves. It depends on how much you like speed or not, too. <laughs> Some people are very cautious. They don't want to go very fast. But when I got on it, it was like, whoa, I am going fast and this is marvelous. That would be my Wii Factor the first time. My Wii Factor now is getting on a bike that will propel me quickly on the first stroke. And as I do that, and I keep pedaling, I can feel the wind in my hair. I can feel the excitement. My cheeks are getting red. I'm just picking up speed. I'm like all of a sudden in my own zone, my own area. And that is a big wee. <laughs> so yes, we had the wee factor and we were hooked. So that's when all the research and due diligence had to begin to see what we could do to, to make this happen. You took about a year or so to in the research phase. Can you kind of walk us through 
what that looked like. Like, what were you doing in that research phase to go from let's sell e-bikes to, okay, now we're actually selling e-bikes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, you're looking around for others who might be selling e-bikes and and what was going on with them. And, And that was very difficult, mainly on the coast, you know, California and New York, were there anybody selling e-bikes. We did some research on the product to see, you know, is this something that's going to be growing in the States? Are there parts available? Are there bikes available? And uh, surprisingly enough, we were seeing really good things. Uh, They have a big bike show, or they used to, uh, Mountain Las Vegas called Interbike, and it was an international bike show. We found that. We thought, well, that's the place to go see all these e-bike manufacturers. So we uh, went to Vegas, went out into the desert, into a park there for uh, bike testing, trying, you know, different products and talking to all the reps. And we did that for three days. After doing all that, we started running the numbers, started looking at the possibilities, and uh, it was looking good. We came back to here, and then it was just try- trying to find the right location, you know, where where right now in the very beginning, where are people most likely to have discretionary income? Are they going to want to buy these things? Where can we find some pretty low rent? That kind of thing. What's it like where you are now, as far as like the biking? Like, are are you? Did you purposely find a spot where the shop is close to or on a trail? Well, we we couldn't at first. There was nothing uh, available. We were in a strip mall. Uh, that was an experience within itself, being in a strip mall. I, I think our neighbors were were like uh, excited actually to have us next to them because you know it's like full of nail places and hairstylist places and a Mexican restaurant. And here we are with the doors wide open, riding bikes in and out, just hooting and hollering, having a great time. Then we found this place about, well, it's about five miles away and it is on a bike trail and it became available. And that's when we moved and we were excited to be in that environment that was more of a biking environment. Nice. When, when you moved from research to this is the bike shop, were there any barriers to entry um, as far as like get getting it started, getting it off the ground, getting the first customers, like in the beginning phases of things? Oh, absolutely. First of all, the bike industry around us was uh, kind of like puzzled and uh, I don't want to say not supportive, but just kind of like, well, you're not a bike shop. That's, that's not real. Uh, even had some, some bikers, you know, you, you felt like you were one of those movies where people, you know, ride by and make fun of you. And then the customers would come in. I mentioned the Mexican restaurant. You know, they go eat and drink margaritas and then come in and be like, those are cheating. What are those? Those are cheating. <laughs> uh, we couldn't hire a mechanic because no bike mechanic wanted to work in an e-bike shop. So we ended up hiring a guy who was a car mechanic. And uh, he was quite confident if he could work on cars, he could work on bikes. And uh, that actually did work out. So that was kind of our first year. <laughs> our very first customer actually traveled about an a hour to come see us. And uh, she wanted to keep up with her husband's riding group and wasn't able to anymore and was interested in an e-bike. So we were all excited. We took her out for a test ride and she bought it. And we were like, oh my gosh, we can really sell these things. Wow. And to this day, uh, Sandy and Chuck, our very first customers, they come once a year for a tune-up and we take them to lunch. That's awesome. I like that <laughs> a lot. I mean, do you still, is it, does it still kind of feel like that or has that kind of subsided a bit where other bike shops kind of poo-poo on the idea of e-bikes and people call it cheating? 
it's changed dramatically. Uh, uh, Each year progressively changed. More people would come in, kind of kick the tires and say, well, you know, these are pretty interesting. By the third year, we actually had local people coming in to to buy the bikes. And then we just, Bamo became a super busy, successful bike shop. Did you feel like at at the time of starting with those barriers that you talked about that that you were kind of gate crashing a little bit with the industry? Yes, yes, I did. And also coming in knowing nothing about the bike industry. I mean, I knew I loved to ride bikes. I've been riding all my life. Casually, I'm not a racer, a uh, trucker. I, I trek across things. And all of a sudden, I'm going to open a bike shop. And it's an all-electric bike shop. And it was kind of scary, exciting, if that makes sense. Yeah, And then being women, because really didn't see any women owning bike shops. You know, very few. Uh, fortunately, you see more, a lot more now. Uh, but being a woman who owns an e-bike shop <laughs> and doing it before everybody else, you almost felt like uh, you were isolated, really. Like if I think about it on the trails, it's pretty much 50-50 men and women riding e-bikes. But then I've never seen mm-hmm. a woman on bike shop. I've never seen a woman working in a bike shop. That is, yeah. So I guess, do you have any, do you have any insights or, or anything on, on that subject? Because it seems, I don't know, it just seems weird. You know, I really don't. I do know a couple of ladies who opened up their own regular bike shop about two hours from here. And I was so excited. I, I emailed them and I said, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you guys have opened up your own bike shop together. Congratulations. And I offered, I said, if you need anything, been doing this for Six years, if you need anything, give me a shout. And it was exciting to have that kind of, wow, look at that, we're breaking, we're breaking the barriers. Um, Nice. And they had a a lady mechanic as well. I also, and this might be related too, is it feels like, and I've been to a lot of bike shops because I bike when when I travel as well a bit, and... It seems like there's a vibe to most bike shops and it's not it's not actually a good vibe. Like it's kind of a standoffishness and like I feel bad as a customer not knowing every single thing about my bike and having to ask questions. And like the local shop that I go to is further than other shops, but it's the shop where I feel like they don't treat me like I'm an idiot, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, this is just my personal take on it, is that shops went through a period where they were really supporting the Lance Armstrongs of the world. You know, everybody got really into racing and, you know, my high-end bike has the Shimano shifters that do this and this and this and this. And, uh, you know, became a, a cult, a group. And that's, you, you talk the talk, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the stigma became that if you didn't know that, you weren't really a serious bicyclist and why should I talk to you a lot? And, and then add that to women, women going into a bicycle shop, wanting to know more. I've been into several bicycle shops where they wouldn't even wait on me because they, well, I'm a woman, I'm standing there and what in the world could you want? <laughs> and, and I've heard this from others and, it, and it's unfortunate, but I think that is changing because of the e-bike, I'm going to call it revolution, because of this new group, this whole intact group of riders. So I think they've, they've realized that, hey, we've kind of hit the saturation of all the Lance Armstrongs out there. And now we're finding a lot of people who just want to ride recreationally, a lot of people who love riding bikes and, and doing things. And I think other bike shops are starting to realize this. The, the smart ones are probably realizing that. I exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
so then for for your shop and and obviously just in talking to you for a few minutes i know that your shop is isn't like that so was that something that you that you consciously thought or just the type of person you are you just wanted to be um better with customer service and and maybe hire people because you said all the people who work at your shop love interacting with people and that's obviously not the vibe that i get at other bike shops so was that kind of a conscious decision from from the get-go to be like okay we can just be a friendly bike shop and be welcoming to people yeah when i was growing up my grandfather owned a men's clothing store in a small town madison indiana and um because it was a small town, you know, everybody knows everybody. And they would come in and he was so personable with everybody. And they would be like, his name was Forey. They would be like, Forey, how are you? And he'd know everybody's name. Hey, Bob, great. Need a new suit? Yeah. And then uh, I would love working there, like at the holidays and, and just getting caught up in, in all the uh, fun and, and excitement in a men's clothing store. And I just always remembered that feeling. And I always thought if I ever had my own shop, I want that same feeling. I want people to come in and I want to remember that, you know, hey, Susie, how's your dog? Is it liking riding on the bike? Yes. Because if I couldn't do that, I didn't really want to do it. It wasn't so much about, oh, gosh, we want to open something and make you know, millions of dollars. But if I'm not enjoying it, if I'm not enjoying the people, then it's just not worth it. A lot of new entrepreneurs or, or budding entrepreneurs may not consider that customer service can be a differentiator in the market, right? Like you can you can sell the exact same widget as the person down the street, but if you have better customer service, if you have people that like working there, if you have people who are personable and get to know the customers, then that can be a marker for success. Yes, it can. As a retail store, you want people to come back. Okay, you bought that, but we want you to come back and and see us again and buy something else or upgrade. And I think that happens naturally if they if they like you and they want to come back. Especially with a business where you can do things like yearly service or upgrades or if a brake line breaks or something like there's always something that I know from experience, there's always something on a bike that's going to need to be fixed at some point or upgraded at some point or worked on at some point. So you want to be the the business that they think, oh, I need to go get it fixed at such and such a place, as opposed to I just need to get my bike fixed. I'm just going to Google where to do that. Right. And, and we don't want them to feel um, embarrassed or bad if they don't understand what's broken or what's going on, because we've all been there. When I first started, I'm like, well, that thingamajiggy over there isn't turning right. You know, <laughs> It's kind of funny when we first started, we're like, oh, my God, we're going to have to learn all the technical things about every uh, piece of this bike and then regurgitate that to our customers because otherwise they'll think we're, we're not uh, smart. So I remember the first year we'd be talking all this technical, oh, your 48 volt, 14 amp hour battery is going to put out six hours of, and they just would gloss over. <laughs> so it was, uh, uh, it was good to know that, that we could speak in terms of, of what they want to hear. It's it's listening to them, hearing their story. I can't ride anymore. I had knee surgery. Oh, okay. Well, what hurts? Oh, okay. It hurts when you hit, sit on your hip. Well, let's get you on a cruiser style bike where you're sitting back, you're pedaling forward. That might take the pressure off. And I think that's the kind of thing that the, the customer really appreciates. Yeah. I mean, it makes such a big difference 
as far as enjoyment is being able to understand and then adapt to those things. I know my wife's first mountain bike, she hated it. And then we went back into the store and we're talking about it. And they were like, oh, it's because this isn't a, a good seat. Oh, yeah. For you. Yeah. Like, try this seat. And then she's like, oh, okay, this is actually, this is actually amazing to ride. Oh, that's this. fantastic. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to pause for a quick break. If you're enjoying this season of Call Paul, you'll love a small business story from our friends at Courier, a magazine about working better and living smarter. For 10 years, Adam McDermott worked in the film industry in a role that's called pulling focus. Basically, he was the person that keeps a character, well, in focus as they're walking across a scene. But he always had an interest in bicycles. And after he couldn't find a classical Europe-type bike that was simple, elegant, and functional, he decided to launch a company himself to bring it to life. It involved scouring the world for manufacturers and vendors, a lot of ups and downs, and a whole lot of hustling. Today, Adam and his team run the Venice Beach-based company Linus Bike. For the full story, head to couriermedia.com. And if you want more stories like this, you can sign up for their weekly newsletter at couriermedia.com slash email. How did you find um, things shift or change at all um, with the pandemic, I guess, at the start? And then as we kind of all collectively settled into, well, this is our lives for a couple years. When it first started, you just didn't know what was going on. And we thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to shut down because, you know, all the businesses are being told to shut down and everybody stay at home. So we're kind of preparing for that. And then all of a sudden we hear, oh, but bike shops are essential so you can stay open. So it was kind of like, okay, what do we expect? What do we do? And then, as I said, you know, everybody that stayed at home all of a sudden decided that bike they had in the attic for the last 10 years needed something on it so they could ride. And it just all came flooding in at once. And we found ourselves all of a sudden with our tails on fire with trying to sell way more product than we've ever sold and trying to get it as fast as we could. And now you're competing with all the bike shops in the whole country on, okay, I need mine. I need mine. I need mine. And then the second year, we weren't sure what to expect. And the e-bike just exploded. And we were just selling, oh, I would say 10 times more e-bikes than we've ever sold. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it was was (laughs) amazing. And then we were a little concerned because no regular bikes were coming in for purchase for people to sell. And uh, they weren't coming in for service. But I think we realized that we probably serviced every bike in the whole area. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was a surge. I couldn't believe how many different companies were coming out with e-bikes. You know, it seems like they just were cropping up daily. So it really kind of changed the whole landscape of the e-bike business. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know you facilitate group rides at your shop. Why did you start those? I mean, it's not a new idea. Obviously, bike shops have been doing group rides for a long time. But it was an idea that... One time uh, we were so busy at the shop that I had so many people in there didn't have enough salespeople to talk to everybody. I'm like, well, you know what? Let's just have a group discussion. So I brought like six people in and uh, most of them were couples and we were talking about the bikes and everybody was asking questions and learning. And I'm like, well, let's all go on a test ride together. So everybody was all excited and we got our helmets and went out on the bike path and we're all riding together. And I just listened to everybody just 
talk to each other and share and have fun and talk about the bikes. And we rode probably for about four miles. And I thought, well, wouldn't this be fun if we just did this, you know, maybe every two weeks and had a glass of wine afterwards. And I kind of said that out loud in jest and people were like, oh, yeah, let's do that. That would be fun. I'll sign up. So that kind of was the catalyst of, of getting these e-bike social rides in play. And it's been great. Yeah, that, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. I wish I lived closer. Oh, yeah. Come on <laughs> up for a visit. <laughs> yeah. What's the ideal, I guess, like if we check back with you in five years yeah. and you could wave your magic wand, <laughs> what would be like, what, what, what does eBoom look like in, in the ideal scenario? I think it would be, um, it would continue with, with the people I have today. We would add recumbents to our fleet helping people get on three wheels that can't be on two. Uh, we do a little bit of that today, but you know, really specializing in that more. We've also helped a lot of um, kids with special needs, families, uh, you know, get them so they're on electric trikes uh, that fit them, that they can ride, teaching them how to ride. That, that's such a, a rewarding feeling. Uh, we'll even go to the family's house and take, take their new trike over there, teach them safety, that, you know, that's just, it's such a rewarding thing for both of us, you know, to do. Nice. I like that a lot. Has the shop then seen an uptick in attempting to make e-bikes more accessible? We have. And the word gets out. But we've had um, kids on the bikes where, like, they can't keep their feet on the pedals. And you're like, well, hmm. So I get all the, the minds in my shop together. And then, you know, we come up with, with a way to safely keep the, the foot attached to the pedal so they can ride, but, but pull it out, you know, if they, if they need to put their feet on the ground, it's, it's kind of exciting to be challenged with how can we help you? How can we help you have a safe, enjoyable ride and be with your family, you know, when they're riding bikes, you almost feel like, I don't know if you guys remember MacGyver or not, you know, the guy who just puts together all these different things <laughs> to, to make things work. Um, so we always call it that we're, we're doing a MacGyver uh, to get these uh, people comfortable on their bikes. Safety clip, bit of duct tape and an orange peel. Exactly. There you go, Paul. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Why is it important to cultivate those close relationships with your customers? We call it a friend. Uh, we had a customer, his name was Quentin. He would travel two hours to come see us, though his son lived nearby. So, you know, he'd stay and visit with his son. He was retired um, in his 70s. And we had uh, changed his recumbent trike and made it electric for him. And he would come and he would work on it and we'd talk. And he and Sean, my service manager, would talk and share stories. And I think he really looked forward to, to seeing us. And we, and we, enjoyed his stories. He was uh, retired from the Navy. And uh, then he didn't show up for a while. We thought, well, he's busy. And then his son showed up and he said that his father had had passed away. And it was like, he lost a really good friend. So you just get kind of close and maybe just you know, wanting to be part of, of the community of, of, of helping and, and enjoying the same thing. Hearing that, I can't help but think back to you being a little girl in your grandpa's clothing store and then thinking about the influence that he actually had on his community. And then I'm sure the influence that the community also had on him. Do you feel like you have that with your own community at eBoom? 
maybe it's my own fantasy, but I think I'm seen the same way because I will be standing outside the store and people drive by while honk and wave. And we get one customer there every time she rides by, it goes, Leannie. And uh, her name's Annie. And then we all have to go, Annie. The restaurant next door, you know, we'll go in maybe for, you know, a beer or something after work. And everybody's like, hey, how's business? So it's nice because that community of people riding by and yelling and waving and you just feel like, you know, oh, wow, you know, people like me as much as I like them. (laughs) I have the same good feeling now running my own business as I did watching him run his. As someone who's personally spent a lot of time in bike shops, I've seen firsthand the attitude and vibe of feeling like I'm a chump because I don't know every little thing about bikes and biking. So I really appreciate a bike shop like eBoom that puts a premium on inclusivity and making everybody feel welcome. Their focus on more than just selling is also what helps them stand out in the market. The group rides they offer may not directly sell e-bikes, but they serve to build community and help eBoom stand out in the minds of the folks that attend. A good lesson here is that as business owners, we should focus on what we can control. For eBoom, they don't build or create the bikes they sell, nor can they control the supply chain and its woes, but they can absolutely control how they sell them how they service them, and how they interact with the customers and build that community, which is exactly what they do. And sometimes a business succeeds not just on their products, but on their customer service. Next week, I'm chatting with a staunchly feminist architecture firm founder in Western Australia, I hope you'll join us. Call Paul is a MailChimp original podcast. The show is made possible with the help of the whole amazing team. Julie Douglas, Ruth Eddy, Sasha Brown, Tierra Darnell, Kaida Jesus, and Zoe Culkin. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player so you can check out all of our other episodes and seasons. Oh, and if you want more awesome podcasts go to MailChimp.com slash presents. Some things leave you guessing, like when you clean a vacuum cleaner, doesn't that make you the vacuum cleaner? Or why do we drive in parkways, but park in driveways? And why is it called a building when it's already built? But you know what doesn't leave you guessing? MailChimp. While some platforms only tell you how your emails are performing, MailChimp analyzes data from billions of emails to offer up personalized recommendations for how to improve things like subject lines, audience targeting, and more. Guess less and sell more with the number one email marketing and automation brand, Intuit MailChimp. Get started today at MailChimp.com. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022.